So before we actually start, this is like, maybe this is kind of nerdy, but this is helpful for me. I, there's like a summary verse over each of the previous two and then this week uh, over like the chapters of the sermon. So if you're like take notes person or have like a margin in your Bible, this, I'm going to read you a verse to sum up like this section of Leviticus. Here's a verse that's going to sum up this section of Leviticus. If you, I, I, it'd be cool to like write it. That's what I picture. You do whatever you want or just ignore this. That's okay. But so for Leviticus 1.1, we talked about the fact that God speaks, right? Uh, the verse is, that sums that up is 2 Timothy 3.16, which says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness. That like verse sums up kind of like the whole first week. Hey, even Leviticus is God's word. And it's good and useful and helpful for us. So that's the first one. For Leviticus 2 through 17, I love this one. Uh, what sums up the whole burnt offering is this verse, John 1, 29. And it says, it's when John the Baptist is looking at Jesus for the first time. And it says the next, or when he was baptizing people, it says the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So good. And then this one, we're going to read through Leviticus chapter two tonight, uh, The verse that would sum this one up is Romans chapter 12, verse 1, which says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So that's going to like sum up kind of what we're going to do today. Um, So hope you're ready to read a whole chapter of Leviticus. Not too bad, 16 verses. So let's do that, and then we will get into it. Leviticus 2, verse 1. When anyone brings a grain offering as an offering to the Lord, he is, his offering shall be of fine flour. He shall pour oil on it and put frankincense on it and bring it to Aaron's sons, the priests. And he shall take from it a handful of the fine flour and oil with all of its frankincense. And the priests shall burn this as a memorial portion on the altar a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. But the rest of the grain offering shall be for Aaron and his sons. It is a most holy part of the Lord's food offering. When you bring a grain offering baked in the oven as an offering, it shall be unleavened loaves of fine flour mixed with oil or unleavened wafers smeared with oil. And if your offering is a grain offering baked on a griddle, it shall be a fine flour unleavened mixed with oil. You shall break it in pieces and pour oil on it. It is a grain offering. And if your offering is a grain offering cooked in a pan, it shall be made of fine flour with oil. And you shall bring the grain offering that is made of these things to the Lord. And when it is presented to the priest, he shall bring it to the altar. And the priest shall take from the grain its memorial portion and burn it on the altar, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. But the rest of the grain offering shall be for Aaron and his sons. It is a most holy part of the Lord's food offerings. No grain that you bring to the Lord shall be made with leaven, for you shall burn no leaven nor any honey as a food offering to the Lord. As an offering of first fruits, you may bring them to the Lord, but they shall not be offered on the altar for a pleasing aroma. You shall season all your grain offerings with salt. You shall not let the salt of the covenant with your God be missing from your grain offering. With all your offerings, you shall offer salt. 
If you offer a grain offering of first fruits to the Lord, you shall offer for the grain offering of your first fruits fresh ears roasted with fire, crushed new grain. And you shall put oil on it and lay frankincense on it. It is a grain offering. And the priest shall burn it as its memorial portion some of the crushed grain and some of the oil with all its frankincense. It is a food offering to the Lord. The word of the Lord. Let's thank God for his word and get into it. Jesus, we thank you for all of your word. We thank you for Leviticus chapter 2 about a grain offering. Um, Lord, we, we know that this is still your word and you speak to us. And, and we know that somehow this all points to Jesus and somehow this is useful for us. And so, God, I just ask for your blessing over this time right now. I, I ask for those of us who may be tired or our brains are fried from the week, uh, would you just sustain us, God? Holy Spirit, help us to see how good your word is. We don't want to miss how good your word is, Lord. Um, and then just encourage us, God, there's actually some really, really good encouragement and some challenging words in here as we learn and study this. So just help us, Lord. Bless it. Bless my lips. Uh, keep me from saying anything dumb and that is not of you. Just may it be honoring to you, Lord. We love you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so grain offering, what the heck did we just read? Uh, here's, I'm going to sum up the, I'm going to sum it up real quick. The grain offering is an offering of, of worship, okay? So the last one was the burnt offering. That one had like atonement, like you, we are, we're sinners, we have to come before God, but we can't because we're sinners, and so you kill this thing. If you remember, it was like bloody, and you're just like chopping it in pieces, and that is like, that makes you right with God. This offering doesn't make you right with God. This offering is an offering of worship to the Lord. So that's kind of like how it sums up. Uh, this guy who is from the 1800s who wrote a commentary on Leviticus, God bless him, honestly, he said this, the grain offering represents the offerer's person and property, his body and his possessions. Okay, so this offering represents two things. It, it represents you, you, your body, your life, and it represents everything that you own. Okay, that's what the big picture of the grain offering. It represents your life, and it represents your stuff. If you're into sermon titles, this one is Jesus wants your life and your stuff, okay? Jesus wants all of your life, and he actually wants your stuff. Okay, what the heck? Uh, here's, here's a couple more clarifying things. Once you've been made right with God, like a blood or a, like an, uh, a lamb or a bull was like slaughtered and it's horrible, and now you're made right with God, you're actually not off the hook yet. God is like, okay, now you, I'm, you're forgiven and I love you, but now it's time for you to offer me your life. Now it's time for me to offer you to offer me everything that you have, everything that you own. Uh, we are saved by the blood of Jesus. That's the only thing that saves you from your sins. But you are actually saved into a life of radical sacrifice and discipleship and willing to like offer everything to God. You're saved by grace, but let me just say, you're actually saved into something that's pretty gnarly. And here's a little caveat before we get into this sermon and, and like the grain offering and all the different pieces of it. Last week was a, like the good news of Christianity. This week is like the hard news of Christianity, okay? So sorry. Uh, if you didn't hear last week, listen to that. You'll be really encouraged. This week is honestly like going to be challenging. This week, Jesus is going to challenge everything you are and everything you own. It's going to be challenging. And uh, 
to be honest too, like sometimes when, I don't know, when we think about Christianity, sometimes maybe it feels like a bait and switch, right? Like you, you tell someone, hey, if you follow Jesus, trust me, it's going to be awesome and it's going to be better than anything and so you should do it. And then people are like, okay, sweet. And then they come to church and then they hear, wait, but you're telling me I have to like change my life and you're telling me I have to like do stuff and like, where did this come from? Or maybe you've heard a testimony or maybe you're tempted to give the testimony, which is basically, okay, my life was horrible and I was miserable, and I wasn't happy, and I wasn't enjoying anything, and then I found Jesus, and now my life is just awesome. Like, and that's how we often are tempted to paint Christianity. It's the worst thing ever, and now it's the best thing ever. To be honest, like, there is a sense in which, yes, that is true, uh, but Jesus says some really hard, gnarly things. If you want to follow him, he actually, like, he was not a great salesman for himself. He, like, he would feed a crowd, and everyone would be so stoked. Like, thank you, Jesus, for this bread. And he's like, yeah, and now you need to eat my flesh and drink my blood if you want to follow me. And the disciples are like, Jesus, well, you're creeping people out. What are you saying? And, he'll, and he just offends everyone, calls himself God, and it says all the crowds were like over it. Yeah, thanks for the bread, but this is weird. And everybody left. Jesus wasn't into like, hey, come follow me. It'll be awesome and easy. He was like, he did everything he could to keep pushing crowds away. Like, do you want to follow me? And he would just make it harder and harder and harder. And that, uh, that's kind of what this offering, this sermon will be. So if, if you're checking out Christianity, let's just know this. You're going to hear like the hardest part of what that is tonight, okay? And then you can consider, is this really worth it? If you're a Christian, you may just be kind of like, oh my gosh, this is okay. This is what I have to do. Uh, so here's, here's a statement that is going to sum this whole sermon up. Being accepted by Jesus is free, but following Jesus will cost you everything. Being accepted by Jesus is free. He paid for it. Thank you, Jesus. But if you want to follow him, it's actually going to cost you everything. Uh, before we begin, begin one more thing. Sorry, I'm I like history. If you like history, here's a fun little history nug for you. Uh, that's also just a good picture of this. So there's a guy named Ernest Shackleton in the 18-1900s. He was an explorer. At that time, like, people hadn't discovered everything in the world. And so there, these guys would just, like, that's how we wish now. You're like, why couldn't I explore something? And Antarctica had never been completely explored, like the bottom of the earth. And no one had ever traveled from one side to the other. And he's like, I'm going to do it. No one's done it. I'm going to go to the most miserable place on the bottom of the earth where it's just dark. And I'm going to do it. And so he, uh, he, his boat was named Endurance. And if you've heard of this, it's, it's the best. That name of the book is the, it's so good. It's called Endurance. It's such a good book. So he gets his crew they go down to Antarctica, and they get stuck, like the ocean is like a, like a big bay, and they get stuck with icebergs, and icebergs like enclose their ship, and they're just stuck in an iceberg, and Antarctica's like over there, and the, and the ice just slowly starts to like crush the boat to the point where the boat gets completely crushed. So now they're stuck floating on icebergs in Antarctica with no boat, and they're like just floating there. They go on, so they had, they had like sled dogs, and they had all these, these supplies to like travel across Antarctica, and um, they have like little life rafts, and, or like, not little, but like lifeboats, and they had to eat the dogs, which is so sad. Then they start hunting like seals and ki- trying to find like, like leopard seals, which are actually so gnarly, and they're chasing them, and like you can die. They're like, they're having to hunt to survive, and they survive on an iceberg 
floating on an iceberg for nine months. And then they proceed to like figure out the currents and they get in their little lifeboats and they do an open ocean voyage in a little lifeboat to this thing called Elephant Island where they live for like another year. And then one boat, one crew is like, we are going to go make it to the shipping island like 1,800 kilometers away, like over 500 miles away in this little boat. And they do it. And then they get there and then they go rescue the guys. It's like the best story ever, okay? But all that to say, when he was recruiting his, his crew, uh, the rumor is that in the New York Times, he put this little ad into uh, the New York Times saying, hey, if you want to f- come on my journey, this is, this is the ad. So it says this, men wanted for hazardous journey, small wages, bitter cold, long months of complete darkness, constant danger, safe return doubtful, honor and recognition in case of success. And... <laughs> It's actually brilliant, right? Because he's like, I don't want people who just think this is cool. I want people who are like down, basically to die. Basically like, I know what I'm signing up for. This is gonna be difficult, but I'm in. And Jesus is like that. He says, you wanna follow me? You should count the cost. And it's an expensive cost. It's your whole life and everything you own. There is nothing you get to keep that Jesus doesn't get to have. That's what... uh, following Jesus is all about, and that's what the grain offering actually gets into. So um, there's going to be five points on this grain offering, and the first one is this. The grain offering uses the stuff of everyday life. Okay, what does that mean? Why are you saying that? The grain offering, you would bring things that you relied on and use every single day, like bread, like grain, like your food, oil. It was all the things that you like used every single day. And God was making a point. He was making a point with the grain offering. And what he's saying is your life, the things of your normal life are to be for, for me. They're to be dedicated to me. The th- your normal things. Uh, like if you want to follow Jesus, it's not just a we know this, a Friday night thing or a Sunday thing or I read my Bible in the morning and then like I've checked it off and now I'm gonna go do my thing. It's, there's actually no area of your life that is off limits to Jesus. And so God is making this point. Yes, the grain offering, you're gonna use all the things that you rely on every single day. And this is, this is interesting. Maybe you think this way. I think this way sometimes. Like, couldn't they think because they just sacrificed an animal and they've been made right with God wouldn't it be reasonable for them to be like, hey, I already did my religious thing. Like, I'm already right with God. Like, I've already done what I need to do. My sins are already forgiven. Like, what else do you, what else do you want? Like, what else is there to do? My sins are forgiven. I'm good to go. And so right after the burnt offering of like, you can be forgiven by God, God's like, but I'm actually gonna ask you to give me your life now. It, he was making a point right after Every time the burnt offering is made in the Bible, it, a grain offering was to go with it as a statement of like, thank you for forgiving me. And now it's this picture of like worship. It's this picture of devotion. It's this picture of Jesus, you did this for me. And now I, out of love for you, and like, I wanna give you my normal life, the normal things in my life. And um, I just, maybe it'll be helpful to get a little bit specific. And honestly, I know we don't like, really know each other yet, and you're like, who is this guy? But I'm get a little bit real and honest real quick. So Jesus wants every detail, every part of your life. That includes things like 
sex. That includes things like sex. It includes things like your job. It includes things like your school. Following Jesus, it includes things like sports. It includes things like what you watch on TV. It includes what you look at on your phone. It includes like your friends. Following Jesus, it requires and is Jesus saying, I want every single part of your life. There is no part of your life that is off limits to me. And, and that's kind of like, wow, Jesus, you're getting in my business. And that's what the grain offering was saying. Yes, the normal things of life. There is no area of your life that is off limits to Jesus. Even if you think that you're like hiding it, he's like, nope. And if this is, this is good and hard. If you're a son or daughter of God and you're like over here, like hiding something, he loves you enough that he's like, he's gonna go after it. He's not gonna let it stay here. In fact, that's like what he's gonna go after first. There was this guy who wanted to follow Jesus and he was like super religious, doing everything right. And he was rich and he was successful. And um, he's like, Jesus, what do I need to do? And Jesus like, you lack one thing, go sell all your stuff and follow me. And Jesus was putting his finger on the one thing that this guy didn't wanna let go of. And it says, it says, the guy was sad because he owned a lot and he walked away. And you know what's crazy is like Jesus let him go. And we all may like the idea of Jesus and like the idea that I can be forgiven of my sin, but Jesus is gonna put his finger on whatever you don't wanna give him. And that will be the test. Do you really want to follow Jesus? Are you really in? Or is there just this thing like, ah, this is mine. You can't have this. Jesus is saying everything in your life belongs to me. Second point of the grain offering is it had to be pure, had to be a pure offering. So it's, there's a lot of symbols here, but we, we learn about it in the Bible. So a couple characteristics of the grain offering, the first thing it said, there couldn't be any leaven in the bread. Remember that? There can't be leaven. Any of the bread, it can't have any leaven. So what is leaven? It's like yeast. It represents corruption. It represents like just, if you get even just a little piece, if anyone's into baking, I don't know about it, but even I think it's just a little piece of yeast and it will like fill the whole, the whole lump, right? Like leaven is, it could be very small, but it's gonna affect the entire thing. It's gonna affect the entire thing. And what, what God is saying with, there can't be any leaven in your offering is he's saying, hey, your life, this, Jesus says this, your life has to be free of sin. He actually calls you to not sin. He's, he's, he doesn't make any room for you to keep sin in your life. He actually said, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Okay, Jesus, um, okay. Uh, no sin is acceptable in your life. No sin, no leaven in this grain offering. No sin is acceptable in your life. And this is, I remember when I was in college and someone asked me this question, they said, I know, I know uh, there's a lot of sins that you're working on and I know there's a lot of things you want to give to Jesus, but is there even just a little piece in your heart that just wants a little bit, of just a little bit of, of this sin? And I was like, yes, there is. And they were calling out like, hey, Jesus says that can't be. If you want to follow me, you cannot hold on to even just the little hidden sin that no one knows about. Another part of the offering, it was uh, oil had to be poured on it oil in the Bible, every time a king was anointed as king or like appointed as king, they would anoint him with oil. Every time a priest was going to go into his office, they would anoint him with oil. Oil represented this like setting apart. Like you used to be a normal guy and now you're a king. 
That's what oil is representing, this like setting apart. And this is, this is hard, but we are called, if we want to follow Jesus, we're called to be different than the world. We're actually called to be set apart. That's so hard, and that doesn't mean like can't listen to rap music per se, but it means that we will be different. There, there will be something different about your life. And let me just ask you on behalf of the Lord, are you different? Are you set apart? If someone looked at your life, would they be like, yeah, you're not like the world? Is, is there that sense of I've been set apart by God, the oil of the grain offering? The other one is whenever the flour was used, it was fine flour, which what that means is, I didn't even know this, but to get flour, apparently you break open a grain and you like crush it and it makes flour. So fine flour came from like the kernel, like an extra, the inside, and then it was sifted. So it was like a lot of work goes into like this flour to make it fine. It took a lot of work. And what the point here is, is Jesus wants your best. Like in everything that you do, I'll just say it, he wants your best. When you're coming to worship him and sing, he actually wants you to sing. He actually wants you to give forth your best. When you're reading your Bible, he wants your best. Meaning like, oh, it's been such a long day. I'm just going to lay down, just read a book, and then you just fall asleep. He's saying like, no, that's, that's not okay. I want your best. I want you. I mean, think about if you're ever going to go on a date. Typically, you're going to like put your best foot forward or whatever. You're going to like dress up. You're going to look good. Jesus is saying, I want you to have that attitude to me. I want me. I get your attention. I get all the thought that you put into your appearance or into your work or into whatever matters to you. I get that. I want your best. And I have to ask you, is that true of your life? Or is Jesus like getting the leftovers? Is he getting the leftovers? There's some really gnarly stories when people are like bringing their offerings and God's like, I hate your offerings. I don't want them. Like, this is your leftover nonsense. And it's like, oh my gosh. Jesus is saying, I want your best. Two other aspects of the grain offering is, uh, it, was, it was, whenever it was bread, it was broken or crushed. And then the other thing, it was baked or it was roasted with fire. So here's a picture of like, you wanna follow me? You're gonna be like broken and crushed and baked in an oven and roasted with fire. That's a picture of the Christian's life. You want to follow me? Jesus is saying, it's not going to be easy. You are actually, Jesus said in John 12, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it cannot bear fruit. Jesus says, you want to follow me? You actually have to like die to yourself every single day. You're going to be broken you're going to be crushed, and you're going to be like tested with fire. Jesus says, that's what a true son or daughter of me, I will make sure that they're going to be tested. And actually, we know this is the fire is what makes us like Jesus. The testing is what burns away the chaff. The testing, the fire, the crushing. Um, A homeless guy told me this. I was super stressed once in college, and I was just like complaining, and he's like, do you know what they anoint kings with? I was like, yeah, olive oil. He's like, do you know how they get olive oil? And I was like, I don't know. And he was like, it crushes the olive. He was like, and the more the crushing, the more the anointing. And I was like, oh, that's good. But that's true of your faith. The, the more you get crushed, the more fruit and the less sin and the more God is gonna make you into the image of Jesus. So that's part of following Jesus. Get ready to be crushed 
and broken. Think about this. Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. And, and he said, and think about communion. What do we do with the bread? We break it. It's this picture of Jesus was broken so that he could bless. When, when Jesus did the miracle of the, the 5,000, feeding the 5,000, like the bread had to be broken and then it was a blessing. If you want to be a blessing, if you want to be like Jesus, if you want to be useful, like you're going to get broken and then God's going to like pass you out. It's going to be hard, but you will be broken and that is the way Jesus makes you. So all these pictures of the grain offering, the big picture is this. Jesus is saying, I want your best. I want you to be holy. I'm calling you. If you want to follow me, you, you, I'm calling you to be holy. And there's this verse in Hebrews that says this, strive with peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. So what he's saying is if you want to see me one day in eternity, you better and must be holy. And if you are lacking holiness, you will not see the Lord. That's what Jesus is saying. Yes, all your sin is atoned for by the blood of Jesus, but your life will show, your life will show that you've been changed because you will strive to be holy. That's the second point. Third point on the grain offering is, this is a fun one for me, uh, the grain offering feeds the priests. That's kind of nice. Uh, that's the way God is like, I'm going to take care of all the priests. The priests didn't get their own land. The priests didn't get their own jobs. Like their full-time job was like doing all the meticulous things of like keeping everything clean and slaughtering and burning. Like that's their full-time job. Uh, and God's like, I'm going to provide for you by everyone else bringing me essentially tithes and offerings. So that uh, yeah, this is a picture of tithe. When someone had a crop, they were to bring the first fruits, like the best ones, and go give them to the Lord. And that, was, that would be a tithe and an offering. And side note, the pattern in the New Testament does not do away with tithe, in case you were like, oh, dang it. Uh, it's actually seen as like the base level, but typically Christians give way more above and beyond in the New Testament. So Jesus actually wants your money, okay? Jesus actually wants you at whatever age you are, at whatever level of income that is, even if that means zero, even if that means it's an allowance from your parents, $50, Jesus is like, yeah, I want some of that. I want you to give me some of that. Base level, 10%. And like, what is that? Does God need money? Does God like have a, a lack of money? And he's like, I'm not gonna make it, guys. Like, I, 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 need your, I need your stuff. Does God need the food? Does God need, listen, God doesn't need your money but the church actually does. Let me just say that. God doesn't need your money, but the priests needed to live. And when they neglected the Lord, like the priests, it was not a good situation for the priests. Like they actually went hungry. So this is God's design. He's like, I want you to give part of your first fruits, 10%, even now. And it's gonna provide for the church. And I know, I know asking and talking about money gets weird and People have abused it. People have been like, hey, send me money and you'll be healed or whatever. Like that, that happens. But that doesn't mean that we should ignore the fact that God's like, hey, the church needs to survive. The church needs money. And, and you need to give it away. God knows that your heart needs to give some of your money away. Like your heart needs that. Your heart, every time you give 10%, it's this statement of like, this is hard and this hurts and that's money that I could do many other things with, but I'm, I'm, I'm saying to the Lord, 
I'm yours. My money is yours. Because in fact, actually, all of your money is the Lord's. Everything in your life is the Lord's. He, this is cool, he made you, which means he already owns you. And then he bought you with the blood of his son, which means he owns you twice. So you, don't, you actually don't get to like, no, Lord, this is mine. Like, he's like, who, who birthed, who, he didn't birth you, but who made you a human, who's given you breath, who's given you the, the ability to make money? Me. He's saying, I've already given you everything, and then on top of that, I died for you. So you are his already, and when you give 10%, it's this statement of, Lord, I'm reminding my heart that I am yours, that my money is yours. Another thing is time. Another thing is your gifts. Did you know if you're a Christian, God asks you to serve your local church, wherever that is, in some way? Like, you, you God made you with, with gifts that the church needs and doesn't have. And if you don't give those things, like, it hurts. It hurts the church. It actually hurts. And, and I know at our age, it's like, okay, I need to just get my life in order. I need to graduate college. I need to get my good job first. I need to get things in order, and then... I'll serve the church. Then I'll do what Jesus wants. The truth is, if you're not doing it now, you, life will only get harder. Life will only speed up. Jesus says, if you're faithful with a little, you'll be faithful with much. So don't think that I'll be faithful one day. How much you serve the church this week is how much you serve the church. Just think about that. That's a picture of what your life will be like. That's a picture of what your life will be like. Jesus is saying, I, I need, you, you need me to... You need to give your money and you need to give your time and your gifts to the church. It's just more, yes, thank you, Jesus. Okay. Um, the grain offering is a statement that all I have and am is the Lord's. And a side note is it blesses the church. That's by design. God made the grain offering to do that. Two more. Number four, the, the, grain off the fourth point on the grain offering is this. The quality of your offering reveals your heart. Let me say that again. The quality of your offering reveals what's going on inside of your heart. Um, there's this story. I won't read it, but I'll try and tell it. This guy named Charles Spurgeon told this like parable. I don't think it's true, but it's cool. It's, uh, it was like, okay, once upon a time there was this kingdom, right? And there was this poor guy, and he was a carrot farmer. And he took so much pride in growing his carrots. And one day he grew this carrot, and it was like, that is the biggest, best, most beautiful carrot I've ever made. And, side note, this farmer really loved his king. He's like, I love my king. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go offer my carrot to the king out of love for the king. And so he goes, and he's like, king, I grow carrots for a living, and this is the best carrot I've ever grown. I want you to have it. And the king looks at him and is like, he sees his, his heart and his devotion. And he's like, you know what? I have, an, I have a huge, like, a, a huge field, a huge, I just have so many carrots and so many fields and so many people. And I want to just put you in charge of the entire carrot industry. I want you to have that. And the guy's like, oh, wow. Now, he had, there was this guy in the, in the whatever, a servant of the king who's standing there watching this. And he's like, oh, this is going to be good. So the next day, he goes and he gets his best horse and he goes to the king and he's like, king, I love you and I, I have this horse and I want you to have it. And the king says, thanks, you can go. And the guy's like, Wait, what are you doing? What do you, what do you mean? And he says, I, that farmer was giving me the carrot. You were giving yourself that horse. And it was revealing 
this guy didn't actually love the king. He didn't actually want to bless the king. He was just like, it was revealing what was going on in his heart. The quality of your service and devotion to the Lord, the quality of one's grain offering reveals like what's going on in your heart. How high do you really esteem Jesus? Do you know what will show is your life, your holiness, your service to the Lord. What your life looks like right now shows how high you really esteem Jesus, how high you really esteem him. Is, and this is really hard because I know some of us will just do certain things because we know we're supposed to. Like, okay, I'll go to church or I'll read my Bible or I won't do this thing. That's, that's a good step of obedience, but it's still revealing that your heart actually wants something else. The goal is your heart to be in this posture of like, I love, I love being holy because I love the Lord and this is better. There's this story, an example of this, a really gnarly one in the Bible. You guys, the first murder in the Bible was about this. It was Cain and Abel. And so you have like Cain who brought some plants or like a grain basically to the Lord and then Abel brought uh, an animal. And it says they brought their, their offerings before the Lord, and God was like, he looked at one, he looked at Abel's, and he's like, that's acceptable to me. And then to Cain's, he says, that's, I'm not going to accept that. And Cain got so bitter and jealous and like, what the heck, that he goes and he kills his brother. Because their sacrifices revealed their heart to the Lord. Their sacrifices were revealing what their heart is before the Lord. And the last point, this is the best point. If you're sleeping or bored, listen now. This is so good. The grain offering always, 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 always followed the burnt offering. Okay? Like, what? What are you saying? This is so important and so good. The grain offering never, ever comes before the burnt offering. Um, why is that? Okay, this is why. The grain offering is not a picture of how you please and get right with the Lord. It's not. It's a, it's a picture of worship. The burnt offering is this picture of I'm a sinner and I deserve to be like treated like this animal that just got its neck slid and like torn into pieces and yet God has forgiven me. That's the picture of the burnt offering. The grain offering is a response. So, so here's why this is so important. This, okay, this is crazy. The single greatest danger to you pursuing holiness is that you would think your holiness makes you right with God, okay? The single greatest danger of you trying to do good things for God is that you would think that it's a burnt offering. You would think that you can make God forgive you of your sins because you've lived a holy life. We've already said this, but only the burnt offering, only the blood of Jesus will ever make you acceptable before God. Do you know what was wrong with Cain's offering? He was offering, he was basically saying this, I don't need this blood to be spilled for me. I'm good. I'm just gonna give God some of this stuff. What he was saying is, I don't, I'm actually not that bad and, and I can be righteous enough and just give God my actions and God will be happy with me. And God's like, no, you, you have no idea. There is nothing you can do on your own to make God forgive you of your sins. This, this quote by the guy who wrote the commentary said this, 
Cain's attempt was virtually this, to present himself and his property to God as if they had been under no curse that needed blood first of all to wash them. He sought to be accepted by his holiness and so overthrew the salvation that comes only by Christ. Okay, this is like a little bit theological, but it is so important. To be justified by God is to be forgiven. That's the burnt offering. To be sanctified means I'm going to change my life. That's the grain offering. You can, if you mix those up, you're going to ruin, like, you're going to be like Cain. It will ruin everything. And I'll use a personal example to help flesh this out. I used to live under the assumption that my sanctification, my grain offering, me doing good things for God, I used to think that that made me right with God. And so when I, had, when I was doing a really good job and I was giving my stuff away and I was serving the church and I led worship and I'm like, oh, I'm so, like, God is so stoked with me. And that's what my heart did. And then when I sinned, when I failed, I was like, oh, crap. Like, God is not happy with me. I need to go do some more good stuff and do some more holy, righteous actions, and then God will be happy with me. I lived that way. My heart, and, and my heart still goes there. Here's another example that happened two nights ago. So I live in an apartment kind of complex with there's a courtyard in the middle. And we have, my wife and I have a dog, so... Every night, it's like the worst because you're so tired, but you have to go take the dog out, and you're like walking, and it's cold. And um, this time, I didn't have my phone with me, so it's kind of dark. And my dog, so he poops every night. Sorry, guys. Uh, my dog pooped, and it was, like, it was like in the bushes, and I couldn't really see it. And I was like, oh. And so I get the little thing, and like I'm reaching around, and like I find one little poop nugget, okay? But I know my dog, and I clean this up every day, and there's a lot more poop than that. And I'm like, it's dark. I can't see. I'm over it. And so I like walk away and I'm like bagging it up. And then I feel so guilty and I'm like, I'm so lame. I got to be holy. I got to do things right. So I go get my phone in my house, go all the way back down the stairs, go to the bush, turn and like I'm hunting for the poop. I get the poop. And as I'm walking and I'm bagging it up, I'm just like, yeah, I just did that. Nobody does that. I just, I, the, the amount of Holiness that I just displayed in character is next level. No one does that. No one goes back to their house. And I honestly felt in my heart like I was better and more holy and more righteous and more right with God. I actually, in my heart, in a little way, I felt like my action just made me acceptable before God. Um, And that is what Cain is doing. And that is what we do. Every time we present a grain offering, holiness to the Lord and are like, yep, I'm better. That's also where a Pharisee and where a self-righteous person comes from because they think, hey, my life is better than their life. Therefore, I'm, I'm holier and I'm more right with God than they are. Anytime you look down on someone, it's because you're trusting in your grain offering. It's because you think that anything you do makes you better before God. When actually, as we read in Isaiah last week, the best, most holy, righteous thing you've ever done, when you present it to God as righteousness, God's like, that's a filthy rag to me. That does not make you right with me. And so here's one more quote from the guy uh, who wrote the commentary. Listen, this is so good. Acts of charity substituted for Christ's work as a means of pacifying one's conscience 
make up precisely this sin of Cain. Nor are they less mistaken who think that by self-denial and by doing good to others in their life and conduct, obtain favor and are acceptable before God. It is putting sanctification before justification. And those who teach that, he says, these counselors are in danger of leading souls past the blood of the lamb and putting the grain offering too hastily in their hands. Okay, so listen. If you are not right with Jesus, you, there is no point in you trying to, to fix yourself. There's actually no point. There's, there's zero point. In fact, it's dangerous because you're going to start to think that you're cleaning yourself up. If you are not right with Jesus, what you need is to not do all this awesome godly stuff and start being better. Like you need the blood of Jesus. You need to trust in the blood of Jesus. And only when you, your heart, is resting in the blood of Jesus, which means this. It means I have a really low view of myself on the one hand. I deserved what Jesus got on the cross, and yet Jesus saved me. That's like this humble place. You need, if you, you need first and foremost to have that in your heart. Man, I was just, I like was just rescued and redeemed from something so gnarly. Thank you, God. That is where your heart has to wake up every day and where your heart has to rest at night when you did a good job or when you did a bad job. I was just rescued from the pit of hell by the blood of Jesus. And that, that has to be the place from which then you're like, now I want to offer my life to Jesus. If you mix up that order, like you're damning yourself to hell. If you think anything I can do makes God happy with me, and, and just pass the blood of Jesus, like, it's the sin of Cain. It's the sin of every Pharisee. It's the sin of someone thinking they are actually good enough to make themselves right with God. And so, like, let me just encourage all of us. We actually are in the same boat of, like, we have all fallen short. Not one of us is any better than the other. Like, we, like, we have sinned before God. We have sinned before God. And when you come to church and you're just feeling wrecked, guess what? That's okay. Like, that, like, let that be this reminder of, man, I needed the blood of Jesus on my life. And only, and only when you're there are you ever going to be able to give your life as an offering to God. Only when you're in this place of, man, I can't believe what God has done, will you ever rightly Give God your life. Give God your sexuality. Give God what you do with your free time and your spare time. And so as, as we close, um, the question was, is, does Jesus want your life and your stuff? Yes, he does. But if you're Christian, he already has it. He's already bought you. And if you don't, if you don't yet follow Jesus, like I'll even encourage you, take your time. Count the cost. It's going to count. It's going to cost you everything you own every single day of your life. It's gnarly, but I'll say this. It's actually worth it. It's actually worth it because Jesus, and here's the last picture I'll, I'll say, Jesus is worth more than anything else you will find in this world, and he will offer you more joy than any other pleasure in this world. Jesus said this, and here's a picture. The kingdom of God finding me is like a man who was walking in a field, basically found this diamond worth like a billion dollars. So in his joy, 
He sells everything that he has. Is that sacrifice? Yeah, it's sacrifice. So then he takes that money and he buys the field. And, and so here's the question. Does that man lose in the end? No, he just got this thing worth more than anything else he ever could have had. Did he have to like sell his stuff? Did he have to like go give everything away? Yeah, he did. And you will if you want to follow Jesus. But you're finding a treasure that is worth more than anything. And you're finding this source of joy that is worth more than anything. And the Christian's life is this. I found this treasure. I found this treasure. I'll, and, and I'm going to give all of my life so that I can just enjoy this treasure today. I'm going to say no to sin because Jesus is better. I'm going to offer everything I have to Jesus because Jesus is better. And, and as we worship, I just want to encourage you. Some of you, like, you're like, honestly, I can't say that. And this is my encouragement to you. If you're like in that spot of like, I don't know if Jesus is better. What you need right now is actually a new heart. You need to be like, Jesus, I'm a sinner, and yet you have offered your life for me. I trust in you. The Bible says when you do that, you are given a new heart. You're filled with the Holy Spirit. The answer to getting right with God is not trying harder. It's being more holy. Like you, you need to know what the blood of the lamb has bought for you. So if that's where you're at right now, like just cry out to Jesus. Get prayer from someone on our prayer team. Come up to the carpets and like cry out to Jesus. Don't start thinking about how I need to clean my life up. But if you're a Christian, if you're a Christian, Jesus is saying, I want your life and I want your stuff, every last bit of it. And, and here's the thing, if we're a son or daughter, we, we, can, it can be, we can make it a lot harder on us than it needs to be. We can say no and he's like, okay, I'll go after it and I'll fight for it. And he will, but that's painful. I would right now just suggest that you, as we worship, are like, picture whatever that is in your life and like hand it over to Jesus. Say, Jesus, this is yours. Here's my grain offering to you. I want to be holy. I want to give you my best. I'm sorry for holding on to this, but I want you to have my best. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to have some worship. We're going to have prayer teams on both sides. Um, We have carpets just to get on your knees, on your face. We have communion to remember that, do, you, do you know, who, this is so cool, do you know Jesus is the picture of the perfect uh, grain offering? Do you know he's perfect? He's 100% set apart. He's 100% holy. Like, think of the, the, the communion of like Jesus gave you his best. He was perfect. He was completely obedient to Jesus for you. Jesus was a perfect, uh, well, he was a perfect burnt offering and grain offering. Um, and let's just worship together. One more thing too. We um, want to make space, this is kind of radical and risky, but we want to make space, we believe that the Lord like speaks prophetically and that that's a thing in the church and in gatherings. So if while we're worshiping, if you were like have this burden, like I think the Lord wants to say this, I'm going to be sitting right here and you can come tell me and I may say, mm, I'm sorry, that doesn't sound like the Lord, um, but hopefully it'll be the Lord and hopefully I'm like, yeah, that sounds right and then we can share that. So I, we just want to make space to like hear from the Lord. It's in the Bible, 1 Corinthians, if you're tripping out on that. Um, But we want to make space for worship. We want to make space to seek the Lord together. So um, I know it's late-ish. Like, if you need to go at any time, don't worry. Jesus' blood covers you. Um, But we're going to worship and give him our best right now. So let me pray, and then uh, let's get into worship. Jesus, thank you that you have given us your best 
your life, your blood to make us right with you. And, and now you, you say, I want all of your life. I want your heart. I want your, I want your stuff. I don't, want any, I don't want you to hold on to anything and, and refuse to give it to me. So, Jesus, I just pray right now that as we worship you, Holy Spirit, you will be leading every single person in this room to like be willing to give you a grain offering, to be willing to like, Jesus, have my life, have this. I don't want any leaven. I don't want any sin. I want to give you my best. Jesus, I pray that you would just bring sweet repentance where we like confess to someone or to you, like, Lord, I'm sorry for not giving you my best. Um, And then Jesus, if there are people here who don't yet trust in you, would you save right now? Would they see the worth of Jesus is better than anything they will ever find? And would they see that Jesus has given them his life and poured out his blood so that they can be forgiven and made right with God? I pray that you would save tonight. You would open blind eyes. You'd help all of us to see the beauty and worth of Jesus so that we'll be willing to go in our joy and give you our whole life, give you everything that we have. We love you, Lord. We thank you for your presence now. Would you help us to worship you? It's in Jesus' name.